Rinkwide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog for sports odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you as we get into a little bit of the dog days of the NHL offseason. Uh, J-Pat, as we wait for the Stanley Cup final to begin. Uh, by the way, Saturday? For the Stanley Cup final to begin, like, does it seem a little too long for you? Like, would you have liked them to jump into this a little bit earlier? No, for sure. But I think they had to be mindful of the NBA final and American television. They love the Saturday night for, you know, primetime. And um, it's TNT this year. And this is the first time that TNT has ever hosted the Stanley Cup. So they, I'm sure, had some say. And, and look, hockey night in Canada is a Saturday night thing, even though the two teams aren't in Canada. So I guess in that sense it fell, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Like it just let's get on with it. Let's go. You know, it's funny. uh, I was flipping around the TV dial last night and I was watching uh, some of the Memorial cup in Kamloops. And then the Vancouver Whitecaps game started and I'm a casual observer of the Whitecaps. I won't sit here and say that I'm, uh, you know, know everything. We leave that to, to Blake price, our colleague. Um, but damn, I was thinking that was a game that if ever there was a time to do a post-game podcast in like the month of May, 6-2, six goals in a soccer game for the Whitecaps. That's a franchise record. And each team had scored twice in the first 19 minutes. Like it was complete and utter carnage uh, in the early going. And I was like, that looks like that would have been a fun game <laughs> to do a post-game podcast. But we stick to hockey. We don't uh, do post-game for soccer. So... Uh, yeah, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for the Stanley Cup because as much as people are dumping on, oh, these two, you know, non-traditional markets and who's going to watch, I'll watch. I'm really, like, oh, yeah. the matchup yeah. to me and the yeah. hockey itself, like if you can get past the fact that, yeah, it's the Florida Panthers and all the baggage they carry off the ice for many years and yeah, it's the Vegas Golden Knights and sure they've been here before and they're the new kids on the block or at least uh, up till Seattle came on board. But but I, I just think like stylistically, I think it's going to be a terrific series. So I'm, I'm actually very excited to get this thing going again, much as I am. And we talked about it yesterday. Like It's June now. Let's go. Because once that cup is presented, then the rest of the teams in the National Hockey League can get on with the, the offseason business. And I do get a real feeling that uh, this is going to be uh, a year that has some fireworks. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm definitely invested in this series. I think it's going to be a fun one. I know it's the non-traditional markets and perhaps the television ratings uh, won't be great, but I'd like to see seven games here. I know we're going to save our predictions for tomorrow, so I'll yep. hold uh, off on that a little bit, but I am leaning towards Vegas. I'll, I'll say that right now, but I'm going to think about it a little bit more here because I have not given Florida the respect that they deserve throughout these entire playoffs. I don't think I picked them once. Uh, throughout these playoffs. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, Some big news, of course, today around the NHL with the Toronto Maple Leafs announcing uh, yesterday that Brad Tree Living is taking over as the GM. And then the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins kind of a little bit trollish, perhaps, like today announced that uh, Kyle Dubas will be the president of hockey operations. They are in the search for a GM right now. And I found that kind of interesting, the fact that they, you know, news dropped that right before the Leafs did the Brad, Brad Tree Living announcement. I know heard Brendan Shanahan sort of play it down a bit saying, hey, listen, they got business to do too. So do we, you know, don't think that it was any sort of, uh, you know, troll job by them. Uh, but that said, now there's, you know, there's a new head honcho in town in Toronto, but also in Pittsburgh. And as you know, the Pens are one of the flagship uh, franchises in the NHL with the amount of success that they've had and the the great players that have gone through that franchise. So it got me thinking a little bit, and I, I know you've been thinking about this as well, you know, which GMs might be motivated to shake their rosters up a little bit, perhaps 
trade partners with the Vancouver Canucks. And I'm zeroing in on the Leafs right now because, you know, perhaps one of those big boys might be on the move. Don't know if there's a trade really with Vancouver there. But then you look at Pittsburgh, which is a very, very interesting team because, J-Pat, they've got three aging superstars, right? And their window is, if it's not closed, it's there's a small crack because, of course, they missed the playoffs this year for, what, the first time in, I think it was 17 years, something like that. So they're probably going to be motivated to make a bit of a shakeup. Now, I'm not saying that Sidney Crosby's going to get traded for Brock Besser or anything like that, but perhaps they're going to be looking to add some pieces to help them you know, with those aging superstars that they have. And perhaps Brock Besser, maybe even Connor Garland could be in their sight lines. Yeah. Well, let's go back to sort of the events of the last 24 hours, because you called it a troll job. It was the Penguins coming off the top rope. You know, it was the Penguins timing that thing perfectly that the Leafs had put out the announcement yesterday that Tree Living's their guy, but the introductory press conference was, I think, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Yeah. And you can imagine like, all of the Toronto media assembled in a room in the, the lead up to the actual start of the tree living introduction. And like 20 minutes before the penguins, you know, without a hint, none, the insiders, you know, nobody had this yesterday. Like the penguins kept it close to the vest and then boom, just the flamethrower. Love it. Like it was totally it was out petty. there though. It was, it was out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. he had been linked, but yes. the, yeah. the, but like the, the big boy official announcement on it. and yeah. the yeah. fact that they were going to do their press conference as well. Like that was the penguins coming with a flamethrower and I'm all for it. It was totally petty and I love it. <laughs> uh, cause there's not enough of that in sports, quite frankly. So, um, you know, it, it goes to me, it goes beyond the Leafs though. And the penguins, uh, you got the Calgary Flames. They made their managerial change. Yeah. The Philadelphia Flyers before them. Uh, you've got Barry Trotz, and that's kind of been gradual. He officially becomes the general manager in, in Nashville uh, right after the draft, but made his coaching move. Um, so, you know, by my count, that's five new people in charge. Dubas is the president of Hockey Ops. He says he's going to get a general manager at some point, but, you know, the buck stops with him. Uh, he wanted more control. He's got it now. Uh, but look at the Penguins, the Predators, the Flames, and the Flyers all missed the playoffs, and the Leafs got bounced in the second round. Like that feels like five really motivated general managers. And what I mean, we always see this. This is like right out of the general manager's handbook. You get a new gig, you want to put your stamp on it. You want to make a splash. You want to drum up interest in your hockey club. And so I just think the fact that there are five guys in charge in different places and four of those teams missed the playoffs. Like, what are we doing here? Let's get this thing going. Like start looking for some dance partners. And I know Darren Drager has said, keep an eye on the Philadelphia Flyers that, you know, they're not happy with the way things have gone there for the last little while that they've got uh, some players that they're looking to move. You know, is there a fit with the Vancouver Canucks? I I don't know. Uh, But I do get the sense that the Flyers are going to be a highly motivated team the Flames, I don't think they're going to blow anything up. I think they, you know, Craig Conroy's been there. He's been part of the group that assembled this cast. Now that he's the guy in charge, you know, we'll see if he tinkers with it. But my hunch is that they want to get a new coach in there and see what a new coach can do with the talent. And, and I don't think the Flames, like the Flames aren't in the same boat as the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flames have a fair bit of talent. They've got good players. You know, the Flyers are a team that's still trying to find its way and find its direction. Um, You know, and then you get to the Predators, and Barry Trotz has already said, like, I I wanted Andrew Burnett because I want more offense. 
you know, is that a team that would look at what the Vancouver Canucks have, whether it's Besser, whether it's Garland, whether it's Anthony Bovillier, Barry Trotz is on the record. And this is Barry Trotz, a guy that played it as tight as anybody when he was a coach in the National Hockey League. But, you know, could there be some sort of matchup? And I would say yes. And keep in mind, too, if you want just another layer to all this, where's the draft this year? Nashville. And so often we see yes. the home team. The Canucks did it in 2019. Montreal made the trade with the Islanders, uh, the Romanoff deal. Last year, Montreal was the home team, the host team for the draft. So just you know, file that one away, that the Nashville Predators need to get better. They want more offense. They've got a new guy coming in, and they're going to be at the center of the hockey world for a couple of days with the awards and then into the draft. So uh, I would be, honestly, I'd be shocked if the Nashville Predators didn't pull off some sort of significant move here in the next month. Hmm. I'm taking a look here at the Nashville Predators in terms of what they have in terms of their players. They got a lot of right shot D. They got a lot mm. of right shot D. Yeah. I don't know how many guys they'd be willing to part with. You know, I know Dante Fabro. He's a local boy. Cal Foot is there. He's an RFA. So youngsters uh, that are both dad coaches here, doesn't he? Who's that? Uh, Cal Cal, yeah, of course, Cal Foot. Yeah, yeah. It was. <laughs> The Adam Foot's son, but I, I don't think, but I don't think they're going to trade him though. That's that's no. my point. So I'm just sort of looking at the other. You know, would you do this, Jay Pat? And I don't know if Nashville would because you talked about how they want more offense. Would you sniff around at a Tyson Berry trade? Got one more year left. Right shot guy. We know that they, you know, the Canucks need some help on the blue line. I don't know if defensively he's yeah. the guy that you want because you do have an offensive defenseman already in Quinn Hughes. But if you could flip a winger, you know, for him, perhaps even Garland, like, would you think about doing something like that? I, I'd be hesitant. I don't think Tyson Berry's the the fit for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, not only do they have Quinn Hughes, but I think Philip Ronick is penciled in to be the second unit power play guy. And, you know, Hronick has a, a shot and, and you know, a, a, a bomb from the point, basically, compared to whatever else the Canucks have. So, you know, I think he's got some different features and tools in his toolbox. Uh, you know, where does that leave Tyson Berry? I think Tyson Berry sees himself as a guy that runs a power play in the NHL. Uh, I'm just not sure that there's an opportunity. You know, the knock on him would be the defensive side of the game. That's where the Canucks need to shore things up. You know, uh, they've got enough offense from their back end, at least, and I say that, and I'm mindful of, I'm the guy that is always saying more, like more goals. They don't score enough goals from the back end. But I think when you've got Quinn Hughes, now you'd add Philip Ronick. I think ideally they would like, you know, one more stay at home, mind the front of the net, play with a little edge, some snarl, that kind of guy. And that's not Tyson Berry. So yeah. I don't, you know, in my mind, that's not a fit necessarily, but that may be a piece that the Nashville Predators are looking yes. at when I talk about the Preds getting involved in the trading game here. Yeah, it feels like uh, he would be one of those guys that they'd be looking to move. And, and you know, if a team's looking for a, a power play quarterback as well, he'd be a good guy to have. I mean, they got Yossi there already, right, who's yeah. obviously a big-time point producer. All right, well, then look else around here, around what's uh, available in terms of the, the GMs that have taken over these new teams, whether it's Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Nashville, Toronto, or Calgary. Do you see some sort of perhaps trade that you could make here with one of these teams? Yeah, I'm a guy that like, I mean, it's great for fodder on podcasts and talk radio and all that kind of stuff, but you know, the hypotheticals and then making the money work as well. Um, it's tough. Cause I mean, look, we've all done it. We've all been at this a while. 
it's fine to spitball and throw that kind of stuff out there, but I mean, that's all it is, is, yeah. is hypothetical. So, you know, in terms of like, I certainly am not reporting anything. I'm not sure that I have inside any kind of inside knowledge at this point. And part of that's the Canucks play it so close to the vast. Uh, we know that uh, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, uh, you know, they prefer to sort of do their business that way. Um, at least, you know, it, it's gone a lot quieter since Rutherford said that he was going to stop talking and he has, um, you know, so we're not really getting much of a feel on what the Canucks might be up to other than they're on the record as they know they have to upgrade that third line center position. And I think anybody in hockey that looks at their back end recognizes that uh, that's very much a work in progress. So, you know, I haven't done player X or sure. player X and Y for something else yet, but I just, you know, I, I'm more at this stage of the framework of looking at teams that miss the playoffs that need to get better. Yeah. And then just trying to combine that. Like not all these new general managers are going to make crazy moves. That's, that's not the way it works, but I do think it's fair to make an assumption that one or two of them is likely highly motivated to try to change the, uh, the the roster composition that they've inherited and, and trying to get better here. And it's just, you know, again, the timing is the draft is a place where everybody's in the same room, uh, whether the drafts happen, you know, look, the Canucks acquired Roberto Luongo way back when on the eve of the draft. Uh, the Oliver Ekman Larson, Connor Garland deal went down ahead of the draft. The JT Miller trade happened ahead of the second day of the draft where maybe some of the groundwork is done on day one teams want to step back and sleep on it and those types of things. So, you know, it's also hard to pinpoint, you know, exactly when you're going to see movement, but I just think that once the Stanley cup is presented, uh, you know, that leaves a sort of a 10 day window leading into the draft where I do expect that you're going to see a fair bit of trade chatter. And ultimately, hopefully that leads to trade activity. What do you think in terms of, you know, if the Canucks were to make a move to try to get rid of, you know, one of these, because they got to get rid of uh, one of these contracts. They, the cap space is so king, is king in this league and, they, and the Canucks need it desperately. Do they, you know, they, do they work to try to just make a move that is a dump, like a straight up dump where, and I know a lot of teams are not, don't have the ability to do it. But do you think that is the, the motivation for the Canucks first and foremost is that, listen, this is what we got to do. We got to make sure we get rid of the money and try not to take any back. Would that be like job number one? Whether they can pull it off, is, of course, uh, is debatable. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's the primary motivation, but ultimately it's the end result that has to occur. They do have to clear up cap space. So... Uh, you know, how motivated are they? And we've talked before about, like, does it reach a point where they just grit their teeth and take the poison pill and recognize that mm-hmm. they've been at this for a while with Besser and Garland and Myers, and, you know, ultimately they recognize that it's not a good trade for the organization, but it's a good trade for the big picture of the the cap. And maybe you get to that point if you're the Vancouver Canucks. You know, the other trick, or I say trick, it's not much of a trick, but the other tool is, you know, if they exhaust the trade avenue and recognize that it's still just not worth it with what teams are asking to take on a Besser or Garland contract, you know, the the buyout window will be available after the Stanley Cup's presented and, and maybe they had uh, that route as well. I'm not anticipating it just because, again, that's real money. That's a big old check that you were writing to uh, make guys go away and not play for you, but it's there. 
and it's at their disposal if they sort of circle back and realize that that's maybe the best play in all of this. So I'm wondering if there's a trade with Pittsburgh. I, I'm really looking at their their lineup right now. They got about twenty thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars, twenty million dollars in cap space. I'm looking at their wingers, and and they they don't have a lot of depth on wing. Like there's guys, they're you know, a lot of like sort of third line guys that are playing maybe higher up in the lineup than they should be. I wonder if there's something there. Not only that, if you're the Canucks, would you take like a second round pick to get rid of Brock Besser? Oh, I, I think in a, in a heartbeat, the Canucks would have taken a second round. I think the problem is that they've been asked to include a second round to to get off Brock Besser, and that's been the holdup here the whole time. I think if they could get a second round pick for Brock Besser, I think they would do that deal. And okay. uh, I just don't think that that's been available to them. I think that teams recognize that they are so up against it. And and that's the frustration is when you see an Oliver Bjorkstrand last year, you know, he went for pennies on the dollar, but he went at least. And Seattle was in a position to pounce and Columbus had signed Johnny Goodrow and wanted to clear cap space for, for others. And so they were motivated to sell, but they didn't have to attach a sweetener there and Seattle got a good player. And I, I think some people still think like, say what we will about Brock Besser and the fact that he has never been a 30-goal scorer. He's still a 20-goal scorer in the National Hockey League. Like, you'd think that there should be some value there for another team, but I think teams recognize that the Canucks are over a barrel and nobody has stepped up to play ball with them, uh, certainly on their terms. And so, you know, maybe that changes at some point. Maybe there is a team that recognizes that, you know, there's an opportunity here with a change of scenery that let's just pull the trigger. It's a significant commitment. Because if it doesn't happen, it's not just this year, it's next year as well at six and a half for, for Brock Besser. But it's funny, like when I woke up this morning, recognized that it's June 1st, wrote that piece of the Hockey News yesterday about June being a significant month for the Vancouver Canucks, and the thought crossed my mind, like, are we now into the final month of Brock Besser's time as a Vancouver Canuck? And again, I think we all know, I'm not trying to report anything new here, but as time ticks towards this uh, trading ground that exists in and around the draft and just all the trade chatter that's existed around Brock Besser for the better part of two seasons now, you know, is this it? Is this is this the final month of Brock Besser's time as a Vancouver Canuck? I don't have the answer today, but 30 days from now, I'll be able to answer the question at the very least. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at their stats from the season as well. And, I'm, you know, I'm wondering how inflated some of these are. Uh, Jason Zucker scored 27 goals for them uh, this year. He's been a 30-goal scorer before in the NHL. Ricard Raquel had 28 goals for them, and he had a decent season at 60 points as well. But then it sort of falls off after that. Uh, Brian Rust had 20 and 46 points. As, you know, maybe maybe there is something there with Besser and the Pittsburgh Penguins, Penguins, we'll have to see. But uh, yeah, they got a new boss in town. Well, at least they got a new president. We'll see who that new GM right. is. Right, but also, like, what did Kyle Dubas learn from, you know, they had regular season success, but obviously the playoffs, sure, they got over the first round hump this year, but more failings than than success. Like, what did Dubas learn? Like, how, you know, so much talk about the core four there in Toronto. Well, he inherits, as you said, the big three. Um you know, does this end our streak of like three days without JT Miller to Pittsburgh uh, trade talk? But, you know, again, there's just so many things there with Miller being a Pittsburgh guy and Sidney Crosby. Like you, you can't turn your back on a 
on an icon who had a 93-point season. Like, there's still life left in Sid. So, you know, is it Kyle Dubas's job to squeeze the very last couple of years out of that big three of Latang and, and Malkin and Crosby? If that's the case, then maybe they do have to go and look for, you know, players that can step right in and help them in the here and now. I think I'm more interested about what they do in goal. Because remember at the deadline, I thought, like, Thatcher Demko made perfect sense for them. You've got all these... Uh, mm-hmm. offensive guys, and Tristan Jari was just so up and down and inconsistent. Casey DeSmith had a, a really nice World Hockey Championship, and maybe they're willing to hitch their wagon there. Uh, but I also wonder, like, you know, what did Kyle Dubas take away from a loss to the Florida Panthers where ultimately a high-priced goaltender was a brick wall and was the difference maker there? So, again, all these questions swirl around here. But, yeah, I mean... I think a lot of people in hockey are going to look at the Penguins and just say, like, what are they? We're in a fascinating time here where the Penguins have kind of painted themselves into a corner committing to their big three. And the big three have produced for them over the years. But, you know, I think people in Pittsburgh want to believe that there's maybe one more act left in, you know, Sidney Crosby and, and his group. And again, Crosby, 93 points, like nothing to sneeze at there. Um, but also, like, in that same division, You've got the Washington Capitals who you know that everything the Capitals do for the next two years is going to be about getting Ovi the goal-scoring record, right? And that might be to the long-term detriment of the organization. But again, the Capitals, they got a new coach. They don't have a new manager. But like, if the rest of the talent sort of falls off there, you know, would the Capitals be motivated to bring in a little bit more offensive talent to prop Ovi up here just to get him across that finish line, you know he's not stepping away from the game until he gets the goal-scoring record. And so, you know, we remember the end for the Sedins here in Vancouver. They don't, like, look, the Sedins were still productive players to the end, but they weren't the same players, obviously, that they were at their height. I mean, that makes sense. That goes for just about everybody. But a lot of the moves the Canucks did centered around, you know, just again trying to prolong that competitive window for the Sedins. And now I sort of see Pittsburgh in that boat, and to a lesser degree, just because it's one guy in Washington. So interesting times in that Eastern Conference, but I do wonder how that sort of shapes the vision that the architects of those teams, um, you know, move forward with here, trying to build out their rosters uh, in the next couple of seasons. Well, I'll tell you what, if you are going to try to trade JT Miller or Thatcher Demko, you better be prepared to have to fight Rick Tockett. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome.
A reminder that we got that Best Buy contest going on. We have four $50 gift certificates to get, or excuse me, let me do this again. Gift cards to give. I learned my lesson now. Gift cards, although the tweet says gift certificates. Who wrote that? It was me. Uh, so we got some gift cards to give away. Here's what you got to do. Head over to Twitter at Rinkwide Van. You got to follow Best Buy Canada and follow us if you aren't already. Like and retweet the post. We're going to give away two on Friday, so tomorrow, and then we'll give away two again next Friday. So we'll give you some time uh, to get into the contest. But head over to at Rinkwide Van on Twitter to get involved. Um, you were batting this around to me before we lit up the mics here, but uh, there's a lot of Canuck connections to this Stanley Cup final, so uh, perhaps let the people know. Yeah, I mean, look, Roberto Luongo uh, isn't playing in the Stanley Cup final, but uh, he's four wins away. He's been there before, been one win away. Uh, and we know how that worked for him back in 2011. But uh, I think there are a lot of people in Vancouver that are sort of pulling to see Lou get his, his Stanley Cup ring. He went into the Hall of Fame. It's been an incredible year for him. So wouldn't that be a way to just top off the last 12 months, really, uh, skating to the Hall of Fame and then uh, followed up with uh, a, a Stanley Cup. You know, he's a special advisor to the general manager down there in Florida, but we see him in the GM's box uh, every game and, and getting some camera time. So, Roberto Luongo, uh, Brian McCabe is the director of player personnel for the Florida Panthers and, of course, was a Canuck and then was dealt uh, to Chicago to get the draft picks necessary to pull off the Sedin trade. So, we're going back a ways, but Brian McCabe still going strong in the game of hockey. Uh, Cop. Ed Jovanovski is around, has done some broadcast work with the Florida Panthers, is based down there as well. So I'm sure he's uh, in on all of this. And then, and he's not likely to play, at least not to start the series, but Zach Dalpe, who's now 33 years of age, statistically had his best year, the one year that he played for the Vancouver Canucks under John Tortorella. And he's still going strong and uh, has played in nine playoff games. So if they do have injuries, uh, he seems like he's kind of in that first man up uh, among their forward group. But Zach Dalpe uh, certainly qualifies as a former Canuck that's playing in this Stanley, or at least uh, will be around, start the series probably as a black ace for the Florida Panthers. On the other side, Ben Hutton is kind of that seventh defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights. And we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, the big six there. But uh, look, when Pat Angelo got suspended for a game, Shea Theodore missed a game uh, somewhere along the line here in the playoffs. Ben Hutton has stepped up and stepped in. And so Ben Hutton, who is now 30, time marches on for everybody. I think of him as the fresh-faced, smiling guy that, uh, you know, never had a bad day. Uh, when he turned pro and played for the Canucks, had 25 points as a rookie, too, and uh, made offense look pretty easy back then. Uh, has bounced around a little bit, but uh, has found a home in Vegas. And so we'll see if Ben Hutton actually gets into Stanley Cup final action, but he is on their roster. Sean Burke, who was a Canuck briefly back in the Mike Keenan, you know, goalie carousel, new goalie each week, it seemed like for the Vancouver Canucks, but Sean Burke was here uh, briefly. He's now the director of goaltending. Um, you know, these teams now, like, they have goalie coaches, but then basically goaltending is an entire department. And so uh, Sean Burke is the director of goaltending for the Golden Knights. And and George McPhee is the president of the Vegas Golden Knights, started as their inaugural general manager and then moved up and brought Kelly McCrimmon on board. Uh, George McPhee, was, I mean, he got into hockey management back in the early 90s with the Vancouver Canucks and was an assistant to Pat Quinn when the Canucks went to the 94 final. So George McPhee has been to the Stanley Cup final a handful of times. 
And uh, here he is once again. So, yeah, I mean, it's possible that Zach Dalpy and Ben Hutton could actually play in the Stanley Cup final. But uh, if you expand out a little bit, uh, lots of guys with connections that will be part of this final series this year. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. A Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, Canada's home for casino games and sports odds, where everyone goes to play. Uh, before we get into some Stanley Cup final odds, because there's some new stuff that's popped up here on Bodog in terms of props, some interesting ones as well. But Ethan Bear. We saw him out at the Memorial Cup there, Jay Pat. I know you were writing about it for the Hockey News. And although he was injured at the World Hockey Championship, uh, I mean, obviously, he still could be injured, but he looked good out there. And, uh, you know, hopefully that uh, whatever happened to him overseas is not going to uh, hinder him going into next season. Yeah, and we talked about it on Sunday when they won the gold medal. He was out there celebrating in full uniform. He didn't play in the semi or the final, but I thought that was a good step forward that, you know, he wasn't incapacitated, then sent him home, whatever the case, he was able to get out there and, you know, if a teammate slapped him on the back or the shoulder, like he wasn't going to set him back for (laughs) for six weeks. And, you know, so like that was my detective work then. Uh, And it's funny because I had seen before the Memorial Cup, they had laid out sort of the different events on different days. And I had seen that Ethan Bear was supposed to take part. And I thought, well, the guy's halfway around the world here on the weekend. Like, is that actually going to happen? So good on him for, uh, you know, holding up the, the commitment that he had made. It was Indigenous Day at the Memorial Cup, and Ethan Bear was out there uh, on the red carpet for the ceremonial puck drop with uh, Roseanne Casimir, who's the chief of the Kamloops Indian Band, and Clara Hughes, six-time Olympian. And obviously Ethan Bear, a Cree Canadian, uh, his story well told here uh, in Vancouver, but I thought uh, good for him uh, to take part and sort of return to his roots And, of course, he was a Seattle Thunderbird back in his junior days. In fact, he went to the Memorial Cup in Windsor in 2017. I was looking at this last night. T-Birds didn't fare so well there. They went 0-3 and got absolutely shelled. So his Memorial Cup experience wasn't great. But here he was last night dropping the ceremonial puck ahead of the game between the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Kamloops Blazers. T-Birds ended up winning 6-1. So uh, Ethan Bear saw his Seattle Thunderbirds win at the Memorial Cup this time. Uh, you know, wasn't able to do it uh, when he was in uniform. But uh, yeah, I mean, he looked good out there. Again, no visible signs of any sort of injury. I saw TSN interviewed him as well. Didn't ask him about it, but, uh, you know, he just talked about the significance of being included in something like this and and, and trying to be a, a role model. And he he has throughout oh, sure. his yeah. time in the NHL, you know, worn that uh, with pride that he can be a role model and not just for you know, people back home, but for anybody. But, uh, you know, there are some guys that sort of shy away from that, and uh, Ethan Bear has taken it on front and center, and I think, uh, you know, should be applauded for that. So, yeah, it was just good to see. I know that uh, the plan is for him to 
get back to Vancouver and be looked at by Canuck doctors, but uh, this amateur podcasting <laughs> doctor would suggest whatever is ailing Ethan Bear does not look like it is going to significantly uh, hamper right, his let's uh, get into some of that uh, playoff talk, which of course is presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Yeah, I didn't see Jason at the Memorial Cup, but he might have been because the guy's a huge hockey fan. It wouldn't shock me if he zipped up the Coca-Cola to take in some major junior hockey. But uh, we know that, uh, and if he did, he'd use his time in his vehicle on the Coke, making calls, taking calls, wheeling and dealing, because that's what he does as a mortgage broker. And he has saved required uh, listeners thousands already. He wants to do that with you if you're getting into the housing game. If you have a mortgage that's up for renewal, don't do it alone. This is complex, complicated stuff. You need an expert, and that's what Jason Hominick is, and uh, he would be happy to help. So reach out to him, seek his advice. Again, get him on your side as you go into a battle with the banks here. Um, Yeah, it's uh, pretty simple. Reach out with a phone call. Uh, Jason Hominick, you can find his contact info on his webpage, Jason.mortgage. I wonder where Jason's going to go in terms of the Stanley Cup final prediction because the line has shifted, J-Pat. Ah, has it? Okay. Vegas is at minus 125 now, Florida at plus 105. So uh, depending on where you think uh, your money should go, it looks like it's uh, moving around a little bit. I mean, both of them have moved, right? So both the money's going either way right now. But there's some interesting prop bets on Bodog right now. And one that I've got circled is actually around Matthew Kachuk to record three plus assists in any game at plus 275. Now, of course, Matthew Kachuk uh, is leading uh, Florida with 21 points in 16 games throughout this postseason. He's had uh, multiple multi-point games. He had a three-point game in the series against Boston. He had a three-point game in the series against Toronto as well. Three assists in that one. The one against Boston was two goals and one assist. What do you think? You think he can put up a three assists or more game against the stingy Vegas Golden Knights? Assists. I mean, he's just been the finisher when it comes to true scoring in these playoffs. You're not so. getting good odds with his goals, though. That's why, I, you know me, I'm looking for value. There's I hear you. Well, there's one to score two plus. See, there you go. To score two plus goals in any game, minus 110. Eh, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on the value hunt. I just, like, I'm not sure that he gets there with three assists in any Okay. One game, so I that one I'm probably fading a little bit. Yeah, there's a, another one too that is for points in the series. Jack Eichel to score ten plus points <laughs> in the series at plus six hundred. They got Barkoff as well for Matt Kachuk to score 12, 12 plus points in the series at plus six fifty. Listen, if you think this is going to be a high scoring series, perhaps you might want to dip into that. But uh, head over to Bodog and check out some of the uh, props that they have uh, throughout the series. And, of course, check us out again tomorrow on Friday because we'll wrap up the week with another edition of the Rink-Wide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rink-Wide is the show that always goes.